there's a lot of stuff that you have to that I calling massage it to make it to make it look tactically correct and real uh, as in how they move and you know you get people I, I don't read comments anymore right you get people <laughs> say well we never do that and I tell people like look have you ever worked on a show no okay then you don't understand how it really works on a show for me I, I you know I'm proud of the fact of what we do on the show because I think our show and SEAL team are probably the two that show tactics like they should be shown and of course there's times where things you know don't look correct but it's TV right, right? like SWAT would never do investigations but they have to build the show around something. They just can't sit there and watch SWAT guys go to training all day. And then, you know, you go to lunch and work out and do whatever. So, so you have to build stuff around a story. And, um, that happens frequently, uh, with that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I just tell people, if you have not worked on a show, you really can't give input on, Oh, that looks that that's not going to happen. And, that this industry, the, the entertainment industry likes people that work with them. So if you're the hard ass cop that comes in and goes, no, we will never do that. And they'll never do that. They're going to go <laughs> next <you>. guy, <laughs> have a good day. Yeah. And so, um, and people, you can stick to that plan if you want, but you will never get anywhere in this industry. You have to go in and say, whenever we, in the notes, if I see something that I say, okay, that really doesn't look good. I always give them an option. It's like, okay, this would never really happen. It's way over the top. How about we do this and I can make it work and massage it to make it look at least tactically like it's good. And, you know, 99% of the time, they're like, yeah, great. We love that. You know, let's do it. Welcome to the Transition Drill Podcast. As members of the first responder and military communities, we need to be planning today for our transition from these careers. Because unfortunately, as many have experienced, these careers can tell us the ride is over before we're ready for it to be done. My name is Paul Pantani and I've spent the past 30 years in law enforcement, working in various assignments and promoting through the ranks of leadership. With the help of my guests, who like you are either former or current military members or first responders, the goal of this podcast is to provide you with information to help you in your planning. But just as important, we can't forget to take care of ourselves today. So I'm also gonna have guests who are gonna talk about how to be more physically and mentally fit. Welcome back everyone. I'm joined this week by Odie Gallup. Odie served four years in the Navy. When he got out, he knew that he still wanted to serve. So he became a cop with the San Diego Police Department. Odie served 28 years and retired in 2018. During his time with San Diego PD, he was a detective, a member of their SWAT team, and a member of their dignitary protection team. As he was closing in on his retirement, the TV show SWAT was being developed, and Odie was hired as the technical advisor. Today, he's still the TA, but he's also jumped in front of the camera, playing the reoccurring role of Sergeant Stevens. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Please enjoy episode 66. So originally from Maine. Originally from Maine, small town uh, in northern Maine called Holton. Uh, I don't know if you know, well, the East Coast, you're going back to Chicago, but the East Coast, the I-95, mm -hmm. right where the I-95 ends before you go into Canada is where I, where I was born and brought up. And what took your family to that portion of the country uh you know honestly i don't know to tell you the truth it was kind of just like that's where i grew up um i think uh my whole family has been was there forever and um you know grew up there and uh that's you know i grew up there and then went from that to uh joining them well moved to florida for a year my dad 
uh, was a truck driver. We owned, it's, it's a long story. When I was younger growing up, my grandfather owned a zoo. We owned a zoo in, zoo in the little hometown that I lived in, in Holton. What's the population of the town? Oh, I, I call it a town. Is I mean, it's a, it's a town. Um, I'd have to look. I want to, you know, ballpark. I'd have to look. Oh, 3,000 maybe. So very, very, very small. Oh, it's a very, very rural, you know, when I was there, it had probably, you know, you had one traffic light typically, you know, and the first McDonald's came in when I was growing up. So stuff like that. So it was pretty small. It's a pretty small town. And my grandfather started a zoo, um, you know, years before that and kind of built it up and it was, you know, I don't know, hundreds of acres and we had different, we had everything. We had different animals from lions to uh, bears to giraffes to monkeys to, I mean, just, uh, you know, every animal you can think of. And, uh, you know, growing up, I mean, one of the weird things is, is, you know, I, we had a pet lion when I was growing up and, uh, you know, it was kind of funny because when I was younger, me and my brother, my dad would drive around with him in, our, in the pickup because it was a small town. And, and, um, you know, today you would never be able to do that. And, you know, he didn't have any fangs or claws. And so, uh, he would come to bring him to our house and you'd play, we played, my brother and I would play tug of war with him. And, uh, he would have that lion growl when you're playing tug of war with him, which, you know, back then I didn't really think anything of it. You know, I'm just playing with, with him, but then you come to realize how actual, uh, they're actually called the king of the jungle is we would go and get my dad would get cow heads from the local uh, slaughterhouse and we'd bring them back and we had other lions that were you know in their pens and you throw in the cow head and they would just grab that head and just crunch it with like one bite and at that time you're sitting there going hmm Okay, that's crazy. <laughs> now, when you say f- no fangs, so just the, the yeah. eye teeth. So yeah, exactly. So, so still yeah. teeth to chew yes, and obviously definitely. to bite. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. So uh, one of the little interesting things of me growing up, that was, you know, I loved growing up in a small town. It was, you know, we get up in the morning, I, you know, I was uh, our... If it didn't have a motor on it, you know, I didn't want to do it. So uh, I grew up with dirt bikes, snowmobiles, four-wheel drives. And, uh, you know, I loved getting up, going out of the garage, just ride out of your garage on your dirt bike or snowmobile and then come back later on in the day and, and go to school and, and in a small town. So it was, it, was, it was great growing up in a small town. Yeah. Now you mentioned your brother, small family, just your mom, dad, and two. Um, and yeah, brother. my mom, dad, and uh, my brother is four years younger. My mom and dad passed away. My dad passed away at 53. He had a cancer and my mom passed away in 2018. She had MS. And so that kind of got, you know, got the best of her, unfortunately, and uh, passed away. So my brother still lives in my, all my relatives still live in Bangor, Maine, which is two hours south um, of where we grew up. And, uh, you know, my brother works for FedEx doing some stuff there. You mentioned going down to Florida. I'm assuming that was later in your life. But as a young kid, do you remember wanting to get out of Holton? That's a, that's a good question because, yeah, when you're growing up in a small town, obviously, you know, you watch TV and, and you see things and you want to get out of a small town and grow and enjoy and, and experience the world. So, you know, my dad... Um, he had sold the zoo, like sold the animals, sold the property, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, he got a job on an oil rig off the coast of, um, didn't want to keep the zoo in the family he didn't, business. No, well, huh? it was, it kind of, it was at the time when the financial stuff had kind of hit. And oh, so okay. it, it, the zoo used to be one of those things where people from all over the state, when you go on your field trip as a kid in school, they would, they would come there and it, it was busy. And then, you know, the financial stuff hit, I can't remember when that was, and it kind of just drug it down. And so couldn't really afford it anymore. So we picked up and my dad got a job on an oil rig down off the coast. Off, uh, I can't remember where it was at, but we lived in Fort Walton beach, Florida, right in the panhandle. 
and I moved my junior year in high school, moved down there, and I spent my senior year at Fort Walton Beach. And, uh, you know, it was kind of you're mo- moving away from all your friends and moving to another city, which, you know, it, it was a good time. It was fun and, you know, got to see something else. And then after a year, he didn't want to do it anymore, so we moved back. And uh, he was a truck driver, you know, worked hard all his whole life. Um, but he also played hard. So, you know, it was, uh, didn't really see him that much. Uh, my mom was pretty much a staple in the family, stayed home all the time and, uh, took care of us and kept us on the, me and my brother on the straight and arrow. Were you a sports guy? I school? was a sports guy, you know, played basketball, soccer, baseball, and then, uh, you know, kind of towards <clears throat> getting kind of towards later on, you know, I had, you know, I, Typically, you want to buy a car when you're a kid. So then I kind of pared down the sports to just baseball and uh, bought a car. Um, and then after that, it was graduation. It was like, okay, what do I want to do? So then, you know, we had some recruiters in town. So just walked into an office and went into the Navy office and, hey, I want to join up. No aspirations for college? No, not really. That wasn't really, um, you know, my family never really pushed that. It was kind of, you know, it was a rural part of, you know, rural town. And so it wasn't, you need to go to college. You need to do this. You need to do that. Like I said, my dad was a truck driver. Um, and my mom was like a, you know, a housewife stayed at home and, and took care of us. And so it wasn't really pushed that hard. Um, so I didn't really try to push it myself. It was more of, I just wanted to get out of a small town and went into the military and, and join the Navy. Did you look at the other branches or was Navy your first and only choice? Uh, Navy was pretty much my first and only choice. You know, I, I walked in and they had the office in the post and their office was in the post office and just went in and talked to the recruiter and then it went from there. Joined, you know, joined and, <laughs> and then I was off. So right out of high school? Um, it was, yeah, right out of high school. Yep. So what year was that? Uh, 82. And going into the Navy, do you have any long-term goals for there or was it just a, a short-term thing to get you out of your small town? Uh, you know, I think it was a short-term thing to get me out of a small town, but also it was something to experience something different and, uh, you know, join the Navy, went to boot camp in uh, Great Lakes, um, you know, the, graduated from there. Well, make a long story short, when I was in, in uh, boot camp, I never really had a rate. I never picked a rate when I went in. So it was kind of like, which, you know, back then uh, it was probably kind of stupid, but I just wanted to get out of the small <laughs> town, went in and joined. And I just remember in boot camp, they were kind of like, well, okay, what do you want to do? You want to, and I go, I don't know. And they're like, how about, you know, submarine, you want to get on a submarine, you want to be a SEAL? And I go, well, what? I didn't know what, what a SEAL was at the point, at that point. So I was like, yeah, I'll do submarine. So, uh, enlisted and I was on a submarine for four years in San Diego. And that's how I got to San Diego. At any point in time during that four years, do you ever think about extending or was it pretty much when that four years was done, you were done? I think, um, you know, you always think about it when you're in because, you know, back then the military, you know, the benefits were great when you got out. uh, If you stayed in for 20 years and I think, you know, nowadays they kind of pare it back a little bit, but, you know, it's still great benefits. But at that time, you know, it was uh, the Cold War with Russia. So we were always going to see like on, on a consistent basis. I mean, it was numerous, you know, six month deployments on a submarine. And, uh, you know, we were always doing off the coast of Russia, doing all, you know, secret stuff and all, uh, while we were there. And so after four years of going to sea all the time, it was kind of like, you know what? I think I just want to try something else and um, got out. And I did a couple odd jobs. You know, I drove or I worked at a computer repair uh, business called Sorbus for, I think a couple of years after that. And then I got hired, uh, delivering packages for a business called airborne express, it's, which is now DHL. Um, did that for a little bit. And then, uh, San Diego PD was hiring. So I went in and took the test, uh, and 
then got hired on the San Diego PD in 90, 1990. Had there always been an interest in law enforcement? There was, you know, coming out of the military, being a kid, you know, being a, being a guy growing up, you know, you always play cops and robbers and then you always want to be in the military. You always want to uh, do that stuff. So it was, it was, you, um, I think it's a progression because, you know, a lot of military, uh, the police department is a paramilitary organization. Anyway, people can say what they want. It's just structured that way. And that's what you do. And when you get there, when when you get hired, it was just provided structure. And that's what I like. I like structure. Even now, like on the show, when we have too much hiatus, it's like, okay, uh, I need structure, (laughs) you know? So then, you know, I'll do something on the side or get a job on the side. But back then at that point, it was great because, you know, I had gotten married in 89 and, uh, you know, then getting a job that would support, support me and my wife and, you know, future having kids. So, uh, that's how that started in 1990. Growing up, did you have anybody in your family or friends who were law enforcement or military? Nope. Not growing up. It was no, not really. It was just me. Yeah. And already being married at the time, you're was your wife supportive about you becoming a cop? Yeah, definitely. She was supportive. You know, I, you know, I think back then she didn't really know what that involved, but, uh, yeah, definitely. She was supportive at that point. And then, uh, you know, got on, went on in 90, went to the Academy, graduated the Academy, uh, got to my division, um, which was Western division. And I stayed there for a while, um, you know, doing patrol, which is obviously the meat and potatoes, you know, of a department. And that's where all the, you know, that's where all the action is pretty much. I mean, so did that, loved it. And then went from that to being on a crime suppression team to, um, a beach team. And then from that to SWAT and then I did narcotics. And then for a lot of my time, when I was on the department, I did uh, dignitary protection with the mayors of San Diego. So I did that for 15 years, um, doing executive protection, PSD work and all that kind of stuff, which I still do, do today on the side when I have some time off. Was the executive protection pretty much what ended or you ended your career with? Yeah. Yeah. I ended there in uh, 2018, retired in 2018. Um, had the show, uh, had a friend. It's kind of weird that, um, you know, I had a ex Navy SEAL master chief that had retired, called me up out of the blue, hadn't talked to him for a little bit and, and said, Hey, you were on SWAT. So, uh, I have some friends in LA that uh, are coming out with a show on CBS called SWAT based on the old TV show and the movie. And they're looking for a technical advisor. Are you interested? And I said, uh, sure. What do they do? I was getting ready to retire in like a year and I was in the drop program. And, um, I said, yeah, what do they do? And he's like, well, you just show them, you know, how to be a SWAT guy. And I'm like, all right, sure. So I, the first year, uh, when the show came out, I was commuting back and forth and I had, you know, being in law enforcement, it was like, I never took vacation. So I had, you know, like 1600 hours of vacation. So I used that all up coming up here. So the last year of work, I was not at work a lot. And I went in and explained that to the mayor and he said, Hey, you know, I back you hundred percent, you know, you're getting ready to retire. You know, you've been here, you've done your job 28 years and I support you hundred percent. So I said, great. So I just went full bore and, and then retired, uh, like six or seven months early from the PD. And then, um, I, went through the whole cop divorce thing. And then I moved up here full time or up to, uh, LA full time. Prior to getting the offer to, to apply for this job, what were you looking at for post-retirement or had, did you have any specific plan? You know, I, you know, I was one of those guys, I was in the drop program. Um, other than that, you know, my 401k and all that kind of stuff as back in the day, you know, as a lot of cops, uh, you know, I use that my daughter's, 
you want them to do better than you. And so I, you know, I got them, they were big volleyball players. Um, and there was a private school in San Diego that, uh, you know, wanted them to go and play there. So it was kind of, um, okay, I don't know if I can really afford that. So, you know, go in and talk to the administration, the whole thing. And they gave us some financial aid and I finally said, okay, fine. So I take money out of my 401k for the next, you know, their eight, four years and then four years for my younger one and paid for them partially out of my 401k to go to this school. And, uh, so after that, it was, um, you know, my drop money that I had when I retired. And so, um, I came up here and started working, you know, I'm up there every day now on set pretty much. So you knew you were going to be working. Yeah, I knew I was going to be working. official retirement. Yeah, definitely. It was either going to be, I mean, I had never planned on doing that. That just came out of the blue. I had no idea what that was or anything. So I was, you know, I mean, I was doing the mayor's detail in San Diego. And so that's a pretty uh, visible detail. So you get to know a lot of people, get a lot of uh, connections through that job. And um, so after that, I was going to end up uh, probably doing some security for, you know, different friends that own different companies and do high-end security uh, for high profile people. And so it was either that, and that was pretty much, that's pretty much what I was set on doing when I got done. And then this came along. So going through, well, take a step back with all your years doing SWAT and security detail, had you had the opportunity to do any type of advisal work or advising work in the Hollywood industry prior to that? No, not at all. And that's why it just came out of the blue. And my buddy was like, uh, you just show him how to be a SWAT cop. And I'm like, all right, that sounds good. And, and so went up to the show, we, we did training. I think it was the show started in 2017. We're in the sixth season now, which is, you know, a lot for a network show. Um, to, we've been renewed for the sixth season. We're filming it right now, but, uh, right prior to pre-production went up and started training the cast on the back lot of universal. Cause it was kind of funny going on the back lot of universal. Well, let me, let me rewind. So to get the job, I had to interview with the producer and the unit production manager, the frontline guys that, you know, run the show. And then they had me interview with Sean Ryan who created the shield. And, you know, after that it was, I talked to him and then they had me interview with Justin Lin, who is a director that has directed, you know, fast and furious, um, star Trek, uh, a couple of star Trek movies, I think interviewed with him. And then they called me up and said, you're in. And so that's how I started that whole process. Um, get there the first day, uh, threw my feet in the fire and I show up on set the very first day. I just remember it. And there's like a thousand people and somebody yells cut and a thousand people are moving around doing all these different jobs. And you're just trying to stay out and of I'm way. like, I just got off the van and I'm like, <laughs> what the <laughs> hell is going on, man? Some AD walks up to me. Hey, you the TA? I go, yeah. And he's like, all right, here's, I'm going to take you over to the cast or took me over to the cast. And I recognize him because we had been training before that. But uh, Backlot of Universal did the training with them in a big warehouse. It was kind of funny because, you know, uh, you're used to doing the tram ride around Universal and, you know, you're looking at all the stuff and seeing people walking and I'm, you know, walking on the back lot of universal and people are driving by waving. And I'm like, yeah, this is weird, man. You know, being a cop, a regular cop, regular guy, you're like, yeah, this is just weird, dude. So went into a big warehouse and in typical SWAT cop fashion, you know, I got him to bring me some yellow tape and just taped off a whole, you know, a residence inside the big warehouse. Uh, props brought us some uh, rubber weapons and uh, just continued to uh, rep them out and doing entries, doing room entries, doing building entries, how to walk, how to do transition drills. Um, 
you know, everything that we do in law enforcement, you know, line them up in a line, you know, get them to walk forward, you know, malfunction, go to your secondary, blah, blah, you know, all that stuff that we learn when you're in law enforcement. And so we did that and we did that for a couple of days. Um, and at the end of that, it was pretty funny because we had, they were going to have a big meeting there. The, all the producers, CBS, Sony, they were all going to come in and they were going to have their little big meeting. So I put, I put a little pressure on the guys when everybody walked in, we were getting ready to wrap it up. And I'm like, okay, guys, we're going to do it one more time. And so they were like, okay. And so all these people are sitting down and they're getting ready to go through their whole itinerary, what they're going to go through with the meeting. And, and, uh, they look up. And so I had our guys do their thing and, uh, we wrapped it up and left. And afterwards they came out and said, dude, that was, uh, that's pretty good. We're going to like the show. So, um, after that went to set and then started that whole thing where I was like, wait a minute, what the hell am I doing? you know, and, and just went from there and have been there, you know, six seasons. Going backwards a little bit for somebody who might be listening, who's got the SWAT background, sees the potential opportunity for a technical advisor. What's the nuances of the hiring process that you could give advice on? Yeah, definitely. You know, it is a hard nut to crack in uh, Hollywood for this type of job because it's usually by word of mouth. So there's not really an application process. I mean, unfortunately, you know, guys that have the experience and guys that have the training for this type of job in Hollywood, it's, it's, um, hard to hear it by word of mouth. And, uh, like I said, I just got it through a friend that knew somebody. So, you know, it's not a unionized job. It's, it's none of that. And, uh, so you just hear about it. And a lot of times, you know, producers and, and directors, unfortunately, um, and you can see it on shows on law enforcement shows on movies that have SWAT cops or SWAT teams or whatever. You can see the, you know, how horrible it really looks. And, and, you know, I mean, you've seen it, I've seen it, everybody sees it. And so uh, they go by, okay, who is the prop person? And, you know, prop guys are great. The armors are great, but they don't have the training tactical movements, you know, how to hold a gun going into a building and you know, or cutting the pie, just doing all that kind of stuff. And so they rely on to save money. They rely on a lot of people in the prop business to save say, okay, this is how you do it. Right. And, and actors, a lot of the actors, they don't know any better. They just have somebody telling them how to do it. And they're like, oh, okay. And they take that as gospel. Right. And so that's the unfortunate thing about Hollywood. But I think now there's uh, a lot of people getting involved. You know, there's a lot of ex-military guys, a lot uh, ex-law enforcement guys. And, um, but you know, you still have the people come up because they don't really check. Uh, you know, when I, when I first came on set, the, the armor, um, he's like, Hey dude, you know, I checked your background. I knew some guys in San Diego. So I called them and checked your background. And he, and he told me, he's like, you know what? That never really happens in a lot of shows. Guys just come up and say, this is my resume and people will hire them. Or you'll have somebody say, Hey, I got a guy, right? I got a guy named Paul. He can come in and do it. It's like, okay, he'll come in and do it. And then they're, and then after a while, they're kind of like, wait a minute, does this guy really know what he's talking about? And, you know, so unfortunately that's Hollywood. It's just, that's, that's the way it is. And, and you try to get, um, people trying to break in, it's just very hard unless you actually know somebody that's coming up, a producer or whatever that's coming out with their show. Um, you know, so that's, that's, that's the nature of that business. Have you ran into an incident or instances where from your input as the technical advisor, Hey, we would move this way, but it doesn't work well on camera. Oh yeah, definitely all the time. I mean, I, I go over, uh, I get all the scripts beforehand from the writers and I go over the scripts and then I try to head all that stuff off. I go over it. I give them notes. I'll type up some notes and send it back to them. And, um, you know, the writers, that's their Bible, right? So they go by that. They, and our writers are very collaborative, uh, because it's a SWAT heavy show. It's just not like a law enforcement where you have a cop for one day or a SWAT 
team for one day coming in and doing their thing. Our show is like everyday SWAT stuff. And, you know, we have law enforcement. So I go over all the notes. Uh, I mean, all the scripts for the writers. And then I type up some notes and I'll send it in. And, you know, sometimes, most of the time, uh, they take my word for it and they'll change a lot of stuff. But then there's times they want to keep stuff in there for the story. Um, you know, and then we go and then on the day, we call it on the day when you do the filming. Um, you know, I go over all the stuff before we do that. And, you know, now it's with our guys, it's kind of, they know what to do with the basic stuff and they, um, you know, they do change things where, okay, well, it's only a 42 minute show where I would like to have them breathe on the tactical stuff where you have a stack coming up to the door. Or when you go into a house, you have them show the whole team going through the bottom floor, but you know, that's what they go. They go, Odie, it's only 42 minutes, man. And I'm like, okay, cool. So they kind of pare it down. We showed that three episodes Yeah, exactly. Ago. Exactly. And I'm fine with them showing it at least every once in a while. But, you know, they edit a lot of stuff where, you know, they don't show the stack coming up the door. They'll show you kicking the door. Or, you know, they don't show you going through the whole house. They'll show you kicking the door and then they'll show you with the first room or upstairs or whatever. And that's the thing, um, you know, sometimes they have a lot of doors and rooms and in buildings and there's only six people in the cast, five people <laughs> right now. One of the cast members left uh, this season, but um, we have people filling in for that. And the thing is, is, you know, a house like yours, we only have five people, right? And in real life, you'd have like 20 people flowing through here, 20, 25 people thrown through the whole house, clean, you know, clear it and you're ready to go. But there we have five people. So it's like, or with five, it's going to be a very long episode. <laughs> yes, exactly. So when they come in, when people come in, I'll tell the director and, and directors for our show are great because we have a lot of repeating directors that are guest directors. And um, I'll say, okay, how about we open the door up, but you know, Hondo says closet only, right? Boom, the easy money. Same thing with like a bathroom, like a one bathroom, very small, opens it up, you know, bathroom only or whatever. So that may, that, that gets rid of a lot of stuff. Or, you know, when we go in, it's like, okay, we, we would check every room, you know, well, we only have three people. So it's like, okay, act like the door is locked, right? You go up, you go like this, you know, where you're supposed to be going, you know, right. the guy's down at the end of the hall, but act like these doors are locked when you go by, check them going by. So stuff like that. So there's a, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you have to, that I call in massage it to make it, to make it look tactically correct and real uh, as in how they move. And, you know, you get people, I, I don't read comments anymore, right? You get people <laughs> say, well, we never do that. And I tell people like, look, have you ever worked on a show? No. Okay. Then you don't understand how it really works on a show. For me, I, I, you know, I'm proud of the fact of what we do on the show because I think our show and CLTM are probably the two that show tactics like they should be shown. And of course there's times where things, you know, don't look correct, but it's TV, right? right? Like SWAT would never do investigations but they have to build the, the show around something. They just can't sit there and watch SWAT guys go to training <laughs> all day. And then, you know, you go to lunch and work out and do whatever. So, so you have to build stuff around a story. And, um, that happens frequently, uh, with that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I just tell people, if you have not worked on a show, you really can't give input on, Oh, that looks that that's not going to happen. And that this industry, the, the entertainment industry likes people that work with them. So if you're the hard ass cop that comes in and goes, no, we will never do that. And they'll never do that. They're going to go Thank next you. guy, have a good day. Yeah. And so, um, and people, you can stick to that plan if you want, but you will never get anywhere in this industry. You have to go in and say, whenever we, in the notes, if I see something that I say, okay, that really doesn't look good. I always give them an option. It's like, okay, this would never really happen. It's way over the top. How about we do this and I can make it work and massage it to make it look at least tactically like it's good. 
And, you know, 99% of the time they're like, yeah, great. We love that. You know, let's do it. Um, so they're, they work with me really well. And, and, you know, even the camera guys, I mean, we've gotten so as a machine on, on our show that the camera guys know that I really don't like to have our guys exposed outside. You know, if they're standing on the corner trying to cut the pie, I don't really like to have Hondo or tan or, you know, Deacon standing outside the corner and the guy just looks at him so he can shoot him. So they kind of understand the different camera angles and magic of Hollywood. You know, they can move to the left a little bit to have it look like he's behind more cover. But then, you know, you have, you know, the cast and obviously um, people watching want to see the cast. They want to see their faces. And so there's times you see them not wearing helmets, which would never happen or not long sleeves, which would never happen, but they want, you know, people to see them. So it's like, cutting the pie around the corner, right? So I'll have Deacon cutting the pie around the corner where, you know, you just show a slice of whatever you have. But, you know, <laughs> the director's like, Odie, can I just have his face out a little bit more and have his rifle lowered a little bit, right? So that's the stuff you have to massage. It's like, yeah, sure, Deacon, just lower your rifle just a little bit and you can have your face out a little bit more so it can be on camera. And that's what people like, you know, and 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 Hondo's always like, Odie, I gotta, they want me to show my face, you know, it's the money maker for the show. I, they got to see my face and I'm like, all right, that's cool. You know? So it's stuff like that, that, you know, if you're behind me, if Paul's behind me and, and you know, you're talking to me, I'm never going to turn to talk to you. Right? right. But if the camera's over here, they want to turn into the camera and say, yeah, okay, we got it. Let's, you know, let's breach or whatever. And so stuff like that, you have to massage to make it look right. And, um, you know, I, you know, I'm sure some people watch and go, Oh yeah, we'll never do that. And then, you know, that's wrong. And, and, but they just don't understand the whole process of how it should work. But even from the flip side, you could film a hundred different SWAT teams moving through a building. A yeah. hundred different teams are going to move and do things differently. Exactly right. And that's what I tell them. You know, you get, you know, you get people that come on the show. You'll get, uh, we are one of the, we are probably between us and SEAL team. I think we're the two shows that provide that have more veterans on the show than anybody. And, uh, you know, we're pretty proud of that having as much veterans in law enforcement and, and, uh, ex law enforcement or current law enforcement on the show as a uh, background and stuff like that. And so we're pretty proud of that, but that's what I tell the cast. I mean, you always get people coming on and, and saying, Hey, you know, Tam, why don't you come shoot with me this weekend or whatever. And, and you know, whenever they go out and they do things, I always tell them like, look, this is a deal. When we come here, we're on the show. I've trained you how to do this. This is how we do it on the show. When you go out and, and somebody says, Oh, okay, well we do it this, or I do it this way. Okay. You have to understand that that's not the wrong way. It's just a different way. So people do things differently and it's not wrong. It's just, they do it differently. But when you're here, this is the way I do it. And that's the way I want to do it. And so, um, you know, they're, they're pretty good about that. They're great about that. And, and like you said, it's not the wrong way. It's just people do it differently. Um, and you know, you get people that come on the show, background guys that come on the show, like, well, I was trained by whatever, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, number one, you're not there. And number two, you're on this show and on this show, I'm the TA and you're going to do it the way I would like you to do it. When I come on your show, then I'll do it the way you want to do it. Keep my mouth shut and do it. But, um, you know, the cast has been great. They, they, they like to soak things up like a sponge. And, you know, now at this point in season six, um, you know, I'm just tweaking them here and there and, and, and showing them how to do stuff that they probably haven't done before. Um, and we're, you know, the stories that we go through, um, uh, we have a lot of action and then sometimes we don't have a lot of action, a lot of talking and stuff like that and, and SWAT headquarters. But, uh, you know, for them, for them to go through the training we put them through in the very beginning. And then we also rented out a power plant before season one up in Santa Clarita, new hall area. We rented out a power plant and we did training like all day for two days. And so, 
you know, they're, they're pretty good at moving and stuff like that. There's still little tweaks here and there. I still got to get on them. Sometimes they get lazy. Sometimes, you know, I got to light them up when they, you know, they get, uh, lazy and, and they don't look good. And, you know, I tell them, I say, you guys look like shit, man. You got to tighten it up and you got to look good. And Deacon's like, well, how many times do you, when you go in and you do a warrant service, how many times you do it? And he go, and I go once, he's like, yeah, this is like our 27th time. And I go, yeah. But we did, you know, we did pre-work beforehand where we were doing, you know, mock-ups and we're doing entries into it. And so we do that, you know, whatever. But, but they're, you know, they're good. They, they're great. They treat me good. They take everything for like a sponge. They soak it up and they want to learn. And we have guest stars that come on and they always want to learn. Uh, we have two girls that are on right now, two females that are come on, that are on right now. Uh, one plays Powell and one plays Cabrera. And, and the first day they're, you know, hey, I want to learn and can we do it again? Let's do it again. And which I have them do it again anyways, but right when we get done let's do it again let's do it again so you know people willing are willing to learn um we were you know last couple seasons last three seasons and we've shot the two first episodes of every season for the last three years in different countries so this season uh we were in thailand for six weeks does so it the, work into the story or? yeah it works oh, okay. into the story this season it's uh you know uh hondo goes to thailand and gets into some stuff with his buddy but uh, we were there for six weeks last year. Uh, we were in Tapazitlan, Mexico, just south of Mexico City for three weeks. And then the year before that, they were in Tokyo for like four or five days doing that. So, um, you know, back to what we were talking about, I just take pride in how, you know, how they move, how they do things. And, and I don't let them slide uh, when it comes to that now the directors and they like all their stuff their way and so i'm always with a director i'm always sitting we call it video village where you have all the monitors and we, and you watch uh the scene unfold in front of you and then if i see something i'll go out and i'll say hey you know shamar just uh you know turn your gun this way to look at it or go forward a little bit farther don't stand right there don't stand in front of the door when you go up to it so i you know i'm tweaking them here and there and um you know the directors are great so um you know it's it's i take pride in that you mentioned before about if you come on set and you try to basically bully your way around my way or the highway, you're going to be shown the door. Yeah. So obviously like any other relationship, you have to build it over time. But I would imagine early on, was it a little more intimidating to, to watch something being filmed and go, Ooh, I'd really rather him can't the rifle this way or and, and have them reshoot it or go out and make the change? Or was it very simple or easier from the get-go to be that voice? Um, I think it was easier from the very get-go because they, they put a lot of, um, they put a lot, you know, on my shoulders to do that. And so everybody from the top down, you know, Sean Ryan is a showrunner, Andy Detman, you know, uh, um, Shamar and all those guys, they expect me to do that. And they, in the very beginning and now they wanted it to look, you know, as real as possible on the movement, the tactical side of that. So they have been very accepting and from day one for me to go in. And, and like I said, the directors have been great. I sit at video village where we watch the scene and I'll tell the director, like, can we do one more? I'd like to see Shamar do this or David do this or, or Jay do this. And they're like, yeah, sure. Let's do one more. Um, but you have to be able to, like I said, in Hollywood times money, right? So you got to be able to have that attitude to go in and say, Hey Paul, you know what? Do it this way. Hold it this way and move forward just a little bit. Boom, done. And you're back out and they're starting to shoot again. They love that stuff. They don't like it when you go in and you're taking 10 minutes to explain to them. Got it. Okay. First I want you to do this. Cause they're sitting there looking at, you know, looking around going, okay, we need to get going. Let's go, let's go. Because they already have enough delay during the day because you have issues like with cameras and all that kind of stuff. So they don't want, 
I make sure that I'm not that issue that they're not waiting for. So, um, and that was from day one and, uh, they've been really good about that. I'll just go in and can we do one more? Sure. And they're usually every director to a T says, Hey, Odie, is that good? Does that look good? And I go, yep, that looks good. Let's move on. He's like, cool, we'll move on. So they, they're really accepting of me giving them direction on, on if we should do it again or not. Along the lines of how you say you really are trying to present an accurate depiction of a SWAT team. And so somebody made a comment to you of, hey, you know, how many times did you serve a warrant? Well, we just did it once. But what you didn't see us doing was the thousand reps that we did in a live firehouse. Where I'm getting at is, have you taken the team or, or have they given you the time with them off filming days to just go through movement reps? Nope. They like to, they, they do it all on, we do it all on set. And, uh, so when we first started, that's what we did. We did, you know, I was on the back lot of universal and then we, ha we rented out a power plant and did that. And so they pretty much got all trained up on everything they have to do since then. So now, like I said, I just have to tweak all of that stuff. So, um, you know, they go out and they go to the range on their own. They do things on their own. Um, uh, you know, a lot, a few of them go to the range frequently. Um, but we're just, you know, for us before the pandemic, it was like 14 hour days, 15 hour days. Right now, after the pandemic, our show has gotten great because the producers, uh, Paul Bernard and, and Jim Skura are, you know, we have 10 hour days, 11 hour days max. And the crew loves that because they get to go home, spend time with their family, you know, um, and do things that, that they want to do. We have right now we have Sunday, Monday off. And then, uh, after Christmas, I think we're going to go back to having Saturday, Sunday off, but you know, I mean, it's a, it's a big grind. A lot of shows, most shows are still doing 14 hour days. And, um, you know, our show, you know, we got one of the best crews. Everybody gets along. There's no jerk. There's, you know, uh, everybody gets, you know, every once in a while, some people argue, but that's very far and few between our crew is just awesome. And, um, you know, they work to get, they work great with me, but you know, and, and the thing is, with me coming from law enforcement, you know, I retired coming to law enforcement to have that community, um, accept me, you know, the crew. And I mean, the crew is great. I get along with them. Great. I mean, you know, when you're in law enforcement, you're kind of in your little bubble, right. And you hang out with your friends that are in law enforcement and same thing with the military. And then, um, once you get out, uh, you, you know, some people I'm sure feel kind of lost because they don't have those friends again because everybody's still working or, you know, they haven't retired or they moved away. Like for me, I, you know, everybody I know is in San Diego. So I moved to LA. Um, the crew, uh, you know, they know what you did in your past life, but they just, you know, they're, they're great. They, you know, they make, you know, we joke with each other all the time and, and uh, we have a good time. So, but you know, they're very accepting uh, of me on set and uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's good to know that outside of law enforcement, you are, you know, wherever you go, there's always places where people are totally accepting of law enforcement because they know what you did for a job. And, and you know. Well, going, going way back, and, and you even use the reference, the divorce from police work. I would imagine, though, going from full active law enforcement to this position did a lot for you just personally and emotionally because even though you stepped away from the full-time job, you were still kind of immersed in it because you were still imparting the knowledge that you've got from all your years of it. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's the other thing. It's, uh, you know, when you're a cop, uh, you know, your salary isn't the greatest, right? And then realizing when you go to do, <laughs> when I go up there to do this, you get paid more doing this that's fake than you were when you were a <laughs> cop. And you're like, wait a minute, I've been doing the wrong thing for like 28 years. But then you're like, well, I wouldn't have got here if I hadn't done that 28 years. But, right. but, um, 
yeah, it, it you know, it wasn't, it, it was in my wheelhouse, right? So that made it a lot easier. And uh, like I said, the whole crew, directors, producers, they were all accepting and they all wanted it to work. And so there was a lot on my shoulders and, uh, you know, I had a couple of people from PD help me out the first couple of days and, and, uh, to help get them trained up. And then, but I've been the lead, uh, TA for like six seasons. And most of the time it's only me. I still have a buddy come up if we have to do a location scout because they still want, it started out, I was just a TA and, and then it turned into, you know, location scouts going over the scripts, doing, um, costume documents going over those and trying to give some input on those going over props giving some input on those so uh going from that to you know i've helped out on a couple other different shows so it's uh it's in your wheelhouse and for people that are getting ready to get done with law enforcement there's so many jobs out there that are law enforcement um friendly that you can do. I mean, I still do, um, PSD stuff on the side every once in a while when I have time. Um, but it's just, there's so much out there for you to do. You just have to find it and you have to be proactive in trying to find that. Um, but you know, you get people that retire and say, well, I'm going to fish the whole time. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to play golf. And after a year they're like, uh, yeah, I, I mean for PD for San Diego, I mean, I would, People are like, oh, yeah, when they were getting ready to retire, like, I'm going to go fish my whole time. And, and, you know, people can do that. Some people do do that. But a lot of people, I see them leave one year, and then I was in turning my stuff in my last day, and I see somebody <laughs> somebody come in picking up their stuff. I'm like, wait a minute, you retired last year. And they're like, yeah, I got bored, and so I'm going to be reserve or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, my God, dude, you know you have so many skill sets as a law enforcement officer because all you do is talk to the community and, and then you have the tactical skills and you have the patrol skills and you have an investigative skills. And so you have all those skills that can come into play when you're not, uh, when you retire. But I think sometimes people don't look, don't look at that as being, or don't look at that before they retire. It's just like, okay, boom, I'm retired. What do I do now? But you just have to look a little bit forward. Like if I hadn't have done this, I would have get into, you know, doing security stuff. Going, I want to stay on the TV show for a second, but if I forget, please remind me, I've got a couple questions on the, the security detail work. So one of the things any SWAT team across this country always battles is where can we get more money for more new gear? <laughs> You know, and everything That's evolves. Right. You go back 10 yeah. years and we were in the big turtle shell, you know, vest, right. and now it's all down to plate carriers. And yeah, what I'm getting at is, does the production company or the, the staff tell you to stay on top of the, the most current trends with SWAT gear? Um, you know, I talk with props and then, you know, sometimes I'll give them some advice and they're pretty much on top of it a, a lot. The prop department, they do the research and they look at all that stuff. When we first started, um, myself and, uh, the guy that, that, uh, had me interview the Navy SEAL retired master chief, him and I got together and we kind of went over stuff and kind of gave them stuff that we, we should probably have. And they went into that and our prop department, Paul Byers is in charge of that. And he's always looking for new stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, uh, that's what I tell them. People, um, are like, Hey, is your, I don't know if you've ever watched the show or not, but we have the Eagle's Nest SWAT headquarters with all the monitors and the cool looking, you know, industrial stuff inside. And people are like, Hey, is the guys on the crew are like, Hey, does your, did your headquarters look like this? It's like, no, 
<laughs> not at all because cities and that's what i tell our cast too i mean our, the cities you know they have budgets right and so cities can only afford to buy so many things you know i mean if you want to buy a bearcat or a gurkha uh which we have on the show it's kind of like those things are expensive and cities are you know they're all about hey can we r&d that you know and then uh, they bring it in and r&d and then hey well yeah we don't have enough money to buy that right so that's the problem with cities is budget wise and so on the show we actually do get a pretty good budget and we try to incorporate new things every season because that's what, you know, the writers are like, Hey, and the producers are like, you know, people want to see GAC. People want to see the new stuff. People want to see something different. And I go, well, I go, we're an apartment. We're SWAT guys. We don't really do. We don't really get a lot of different things. We it's the kiss method, right? Keep it simple, stupid. So whatever works, SWAT guys usually use until it's doesn't work or right. we come up with something different. And, you know, that's that's the funny part about it is you know we got all this new gack and you know like all this ir stuff and and uh, i'm like yeah we don't we never had any of that stuff man so that's the that's the funny part of it is i always tell them like the city has a budget we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to get this or, or whatever so um yeah so you've now crossed the line though you've actually been a reoccurring acting role how'd that come about <laughs> i don't know if i'd call it acting but um one of the writers had called me up uh at one point season one i think it was and said hey uh um we didn't cast this part and it has a line would you want to do it and i said sure i'll do it i'll try it i mean i'm up to try anything i'll try it so he goes okay well let me see if i can clear it through the showrunner clear it through cbs because they you know it's a whole thing about auditioning and doing all this kind of stuff and so he called me back in the afternoon and he said, all right, man, you're in, you got it. So, it's so like, there's okay. still politics even in the movie industry about just moving you in and putting oh, you yeah, in Oh yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. They don't, you know, it's a, uh, it's a big deal. He had to go through CBS to get it cleared. They had to t get talked to the showrunner to get it cleared. And uh, like I said, they were great. And they told him, yeah, sure. Sure. And then it came and then it just kind of progressively got more in the second season. And uh, you know, I think I'm probably in between, you know, six and 10 or 11 episodes a season, but you know, nothing major, you know, I get a line or two here and there or, or whatever, but, uh, but it's fun. It's something different, you know, and all uh, the cast is always like, well, did you ever take any acting lessons? I said, you know, I was under undercover narcotics, man. I acted for my life, dude. So, you know, but you know, there's no way I'm going to sit there and do like a whole page of dialogue. Like those guys do. I'm like, yeah, no, that's okay. You can give me like a paragraph and I'm good, but you know, you want me to do like a whole page, then we'll talk about it. <laughs> That's a lot to remember. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they do a good job at that. They memorize all their lines and you, you get people come in and they'll have their sides with them and they kind of refresh their memory. And then you get some people come in like, uh, Patrick, uh, St. Esprit that plays commander Hicks. He never has his sides. He comes in and he knows all that off the top of his head and he just boom, does it. And, um, so yeah, it's, uh, but it's, you know, uh, you know, you really don't get in, I mean, I wasn't really intimidated by that. It was just since I had been hanging around those guys and watching them the whole time. I mean, it's kind of just, it was, it wasn't really intimidating. It was just kind of when you do see when the first time I did it, I, you know, when I was in a little group of the cast, you know, Patrick plays commander Hicks. He's been on a ton of stuff like movies, like draft day, SOA, uh, you know, a ton of stuff. And so was, you know, Kenny Johnson was in a bunch of stuff. Shamar has been in a bunch of stuff, Jay. And so it was kind of like, you're standing there and I, you know, I'm got my line and I'm standing there. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I see all these guys on TV or in movies all the time. So it's like, all right, I'm delivering a line with these guys. Cool. You know? So, but, um, it's not really, 
I wasn't really intimidated by that. And, um, you know, I'm not really, when we first started, uh, you know, you don't really, I'm not really one of those guys that gets infatuated, like, Oh, cool. It's, you know, whatever actor it is. It's like, they're just like us. Right. So, I just treat them accordingly how I'm supposed to treat them when I'm training them. And if I don't like what they're doing, I'll tell them I don't like it. I would imagine that not being awestruck, starstruck, whatever word you want to use, and just coming in and looking at it as a job has definitely helped propel you uh, in the industry. Yeah, definitely. That's that's a good way to put it. Um, you know, you go in, you do a job, and you keep doing that job, and you... Like I said, you know, I tell the cast, I go, and even guest cast, when they come in, when I train them, it's just kind of like, I'm doing my job, I'm going to teach you how to do this, and I expect you to do it, because when they're on camera, it reflects on me, right? And I go, and it also reflects on you, because you go to do another show, where if you're on TV, and somebody goes, you look like crap, then that reflects on me. And, um, you know, and then and there's sometimes where something does happen, because we do a take like three or four times, and an actor the first time, they might not you know, they might have their gun, their weapon on safe, or they might walk around the corner and I'm like, no, I want you to cut the pie, but the director likes the rest of the scene and he'll go, oh yeah, I like that scene. And, uh, you know, there's not really much I can do when it's on the, when it's, when it's aired, you see them and I'm like, ah, dude, <laughs> you're killing me. <laughs> but that's the nature of the nature of the, of Hollywood, you know, they have the final say on what they're going to put on the screen. And there's times where I have the script supervisor who sits at the monitor and she's the one that um, if somebody forgets a line, she'll yell out their line or she'll make sure everything's in place. She'll make sure, you know, your headphones, if they were sitting here, the next take they're sitting there again instead of over there. Um, and so if we're on a scene and I like that scene with what what's going on with me, I'll just say, Hey, I like that one. Can you put in there that I like that one? Or like the other day, one of the guys, I think it was, I can't remember who it was, but had their foot outside you know, they're cutting the pie, but their leg was outside the corner. And so I'm like, can we do another one? And the director's like, yeah, we can do another one. So I had him put his leg back inside the corner. We did, he did it right. And I went to her and I said, okay, can you put, can you just mark that as being the correct way that he's supposed to cut the pie? And she's like, okay, cool. So she'll put it in her notes. So they see that when they go to the editing room, okay, Odie said this, so we probably should have this scene in there. We've all seen the movies though in TV shows yes. where the set advisor yes. missed bad. <laughs> yes, definitely. And, um, you know, and even, even, uh, you know, there's times when I look at it and I take notes on, I'll watch the show and then I take notes on the show and then I will go back and tell the cast like, okay, last night's episode, you got to be careful of this, be careful of this, be careful of this. So, you know, I'm all in, I'm all involved in it. I, you know, it's, it's all of our show. Um, but I take exceptional, uh, responsibility for what they look like when they're doing tactical stuff. And like I said, you know, SWAT, we would never do investigations, but if they're doing an investigation and they walk up to a door, I just make sure that you're not going to stand in front of the door. You're going to stand on the side of the door. You're going to have a guy on the corner. One of you guys stand on the corner. Well, can we have them both in camera? Okay. Well, have somebody standing, you know, on the side of the door, somebody stand off the stoop, you know, looking in the window kind of sideways so you can see what's inside. Okay. Yeah, it'll cool. That'll, that'll work. So it's all, it's a lot of uh, massaging with everybody. Has this springboarded you to other opportunities? Um, yeah, I've helped out on uh, another show that's coming out in 2023 called The Night Agent. Um, you know, I don't know if you ever watched. Uh, I helped out one of the actresses. There was a show on a while ago called Clarice. Um, I helped. Uh, kind of a spinoff of The Silence yeah, of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. I helped her out do some tactical stuff. The director called me up and said, hey, can you help her out do some tactical tactical stuff she's never done anything um before the pilot episode i was like sure so i work with her for a day so it's 
you know, I have people um, asking me to help them out with, you know, tactical movement and all that kind of stuff. So I've done that uh, numerous times for people outside the show. Um, it'd be great to be able to have a place I could go as a business to do that, you know, but um, I haven't gotten to that point where I can afford that. And uh, so I just go to wherever people are at if they want to get training or whatever. But the thing is, you also have companies up there that do training, you know, but, um, and that's the part where I tell the cast, like, okay, so when you go there, it's like, you know, you're going to do it. They'll probably tell you to do it this way. And you can just say, Hey, Odie told me to do it this way. Uh, if you're not, if you're the person doing the training and you're not willing to learn other ways and you will say my way is the only way, then that person is not willing to learn any other way. Like I'm an old school guy. Right. So, you know, I know now when, when uh, the new thing coming out is holding your weapon at port arms, right? You hold it up high. I'm an old school guy. I like low ready, you know, and, and people are like, well, you hold it up. You can get it a lot quicker. And I'm like, well, I don't really see how it's a lot quicker. And then you have people say, well, that came about because when you have a shoot house, the instructors are standing up on the top. And so if you lit off a load, then you'd hit, I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I just like it. I like it like this. I like to have it in my shoulder. You know, people like to have it up here. I like to have it here ready to go. Boom, you're up. And so that's just me, you know, and um, people have different ways to do things and it's not this wrong. It's just they do it different. Being that the show is based on LAPD SWAT, do they have an advisor as to the way LAPD does it? Um, they do not. It's uh, I'm it. I'm the, you know, it's on my shoulders. Um, you know, SWAT guys, it's pretty much... You know, tactics are pretty much uh, the same all over the place. You can only massage them so much or change Correct. them so much. And so, um, you know, I talk to our guys every once in a while to see if there's anything changed. Um, you know, three people going into a room. To, I mean, so it's it's uh, it's on me. There's a guy, there's one of the guys that used to be on, but he was just a patrol guy to advise, like, on the uniforms and what they look like and stuff like that. So um, I still have a contact that I just talked to about, like, do you guys have this on your uniform? You know, stuff like that, like basic LAPD stuff, but SWAT stuff, yeah, it's all me. So, For somebody wanting to go down this path of, of advising, you mentioned that a lot of times it's it's who you know. It's just opportunities. What would you advise as far as the best way to start developing that network, that, that connection point for people in the industry? Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, if you're, if you want to start trying to do this, it's, um, a lot of shows, you know, through the military, there's some contacts through the military, you know, you have film commissions and all that kind of stuff. So if you can, um, talk to a film commission person, if you can get on a show as a background person, if you can get, uh, go online and look for productions that might be looking that, that you know, you look at it and you say, okay, they might need a TA for law enforcement. So I'm going to send them an email and show them my background. And sometimes, a lot of times they might not even look at it. You know, you never hear back, but sometimes when they do, then they'll say, Hey, you know, can you email this guy? But, uh, for me, uh, like I said, it just came out of the blue. So it's hard to crack that nut because it's usually only by word of mouth or somebody, you know, and, and it's kind of a small, click in Hollywood. And like, I don't even, I haven't even talked to other TAs, right? Because everybody has their own little thing going on. Like some guys will do movies and then you have some guys like I do TV show. I'll do a TV show. Uh, and you, I hear of other TAs, but I've never met them because you're too busy doing your own thing. And I'm there every day. So, um, I got contacted by the showrunner for the show that I helped out that's coming out in 2023. So that's how it works is they'll send you an email like, Hey, you know, um, 
you're on SWAT. Can you help me out do this? And it's like, yeah, sure. There's a show on Apple that I sent my buddy to help out on for a couple of days. So it kind of goes like that. So it's, it's, it's a hard nut to crack. So it's just tough, man. It's like getting coming up and getting in the background or talking to the TA there to see what they did. Um, sometimes some TAs, they have guys that work for them, you know, two or three guys that work for them on, on a show or a movie. And you can try to get in that way. Um, sometimes it's just a, the producer knows, Hey, can you get me a SWAT guy? Okay, sure. And then they call a SWAT guy. Right. So it's not, there's not really, like I said, there's no union, the <laughs> a bank where they go, okay, we got all these SWAT guys. Let's call this guy up. He's going to be here tomorrow. You know, it's just by word of mouth. And that's what I said. A lot of people don't do their due diligence and checking backgrounds. And so you get guys that have say they can do it or they've been paper pushers or whatever. And then it's kind of like, okay, where'd this guy come from? And sometimes they get exposed and sometimes they can bullshit their way through the whole thing. Can somebody come in and volunteer their time to help get their foot in the door? Um, they, they can ask a lot of times uh, now with the pandemic and, and COVID and stuff, they like for us, nobody, they, we, we used to let people come up and watch, you know, visitors come up and see, you know, watch filming for a day and how we shoot stuff and, you know, all the action and all that kind of stuff. But since the pandemic ha- happened, uh, we for a show and I, I think a lot of shows are like the same thing they don't allow visitors um, just because they don't want somebody coming in from the outside and you know COVID or whatever but uh, I, I think it'll get back to that point hopefully um, you know where you're going to be able to bring people on set to be able to watch and and see how it works um, do you see the the tv industry kind of running headlong into all right we're done with COVID or is it a very timid progression forward um it's been very timid i think um i think uh, you know i think in the near future uh, you know because it went from the very beginning we were wearing masks and shields and for us it's like you know we start shooting in july right like beginning of july usually after july 4th or beginning of august and it's like you know 90 100 degrees and you're wearing a, a mask and a shield uh it's it's pretty brutal and then we went from that to wearing just masks outside and inside. And then we went from that to, uh, wearing masks only inside. And then now we don't have to wear them outside. And then the whole vaccination thing came into play. So it was just like a lot of different rules and regulations. And so now I think, I think in the near future or hopefully in the future, they're just going to do away with all of it just because now I think we're at that point where people are just done with it. And there's science behind, you know, it's, it's, um, it's there, but it's never going to go away. So, uh, you know, hopefully in the near future, we'll be getting rid of masks all over the place to go inside. We still wear them inside, but we don't have to wear them outside, which I can see that, you know, I can see, I get it. And I don't have a problem with wearing it inside. So it's all good. Do you have a desire long-term to get over to the movie side? And with that, what's significantly difference between doing a movie as a TA and a TV show? Um, a TV show, you're doing it fairly quick like you're just going in i'm going in and telling hey paul do it this way real quick and boom you're out on a movie you have a little bit more time to work it out to do it and they might take a couple days to do a scene right or maybe even longer um so that's the that's the difference in in the tv world we're used to moving quick boom you want you know uh time's money so let's get let's go um in the movie world you have a lot more time to do it let it breathe and uh, do it that way do you have a desire to get to to that um 
you know, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. And, um, you know, hopefully we get a, hopefully we get some more seasons. Uh, if not, then I'll go out and I'll find something else to do. Like I said, I do PSD stuff on the side. So I still do that to this day every once in a while. And somebody will call me up and say, Hey, you still, yeah, sure. You know, because a lot of people that own companies don't live in LA. And so they get a client or whatever, and they call their, their uh, person and they're like, Hey, can I get somebody to help me out doing this? And then I'll get a call like, Hey, can you go here for a couple of days and, and help this person out or this group or this family? Like, yeah, sure. I can do that. And so, you know, I'm still involved in that. Um, but I'm just, uh, you know, for the show, I'm just really busy cause I'm there like every day, almost every day. And um, anything to do with law enforcement is on the show is what, I, you know, they have questions for whether it's patrol, whether it's, you know, going in the HQ, whether it's a patrol car, whether it's how to pull up the patrol car, whether it's having the cop in the background with his uniform on, you know, so they, so interrogation room. So I'm there like every day. So it's, um, and I love doing it. I have fun. It's in my wheelhouse. And, and, uh, like I said, it's, it's a great job, uh, retirement job. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. And, and, uh, you know, if not, I'll find something else to do. For the personal security detail work, do you find that most companies want SWAT and PSD while you were a cop, or have you seen cops make a transition into that who didn't do it in their active job? Yeah, definitely. I've seen cops do it that have not been in their, have not did that in their law enforcement job. Uh, you know, you can go out and there's, you know, you can get some training here and there doing uh, dignity PSD classes or you can do all that kind of stuff and so i think when you do the investment in that and do some classes it's definitely worth it because you know nowadays with everything going on um you know people are asking for people a lot more and uh, especially like in la area you know with all home invasions etc etc but um, a lot of the high profile clients you know they want somebody to be with them either going someplace or or staying at their estate or doing whatever um, because of everything that's going on. But I, yeah, there's definitely um, jobs out there uh, that you can do when you get out for, you know, PSD stuff. I mean, there's a lot of other jobs besides that, but PSD stuff is like a lot of times that's where the, you know, law enforcement graduate or gradually goes to because that's what you've done is, you know, that type of stuff for your career. If I'm sure we couldn't hit or I couldn't think of every possible question that somebody might be having in their head. If somebody's got more questions for you specifically, can they reach out? Yeah, definitely reach out. Uh, my email is uh, O D is in dog gallop G A L L O P um, at gmail.com. And uh, you know, I'll answer them right away. Uh, usually I'm pretty busy going over scripts and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'll get back to them as if, if they email me, I'll get back to them as soon as I can. And I uh, give them an answer. Um, I do. I have people that come on set, like law enforcement comes on set and it's like, Hey, how do I get into this? And it's hard to give them an answer because like I said, it's, it's a tough nut to crack because you have military guys that are doing it. You have law enforcement guys that are doing it. And, and a lot of times you don't communicate with each other. And so they go about, they do their job. I do my job and you're pretty much a lone wolf kind of thing, uh, doing your thing, you know? Um, so it's, 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 it's a really hard thing to get into. Going way back to the beginning when you said you grew up on the Canadian border, does do you ever get told that the Canadian accent pops through? Yeah, I do I, I, all the time. <laughs> I, I, you know, people <laughs> people tell me that whenever I say something like, "Are you from Canada?" I'm like, "No, I'm close to the border." I mean, I'm, my relatives could have been from Canada for all I know, but but uh, yeah, I get that. I get that all the time. Well, I appreciate your time, sir.
Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, inviting me down. I, I, you know, I had a good time, great time, and I'm sure we're missing, I'm sure I'm missing a lot of stuff, but uh, um, no, it was a good time. Thanks. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com, and through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.